Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode three of Don't Run Into Glass, a podcast hosted by the Citizen.in. I am Geti. I'm Anika. And Anika, what are we chatting about today? We're talking about Aryan Khan being in jail and denied bail three times for actually not possessing any drugs on him. <laughs> We're going to call this episode uh, Bollywood Deja Vu. I like that name. I like that. And I like it because it's sort of like you said, you know, we have a young 23 year old guy in jail. We have no evidence that he ever consumed drugs. We have no evidence of drugs being found on him. And in fact, we have the NCB saying something like, well, there was an intention to consume drugs because guess what? There's a WhatsApp message that Aryan Khan sent to a friend of his saying, let's have a blast tonight. I mean, how many times have you and I probably messaged each other, no drugs in place whatsoever, let's saying let's have a blast tonight or last night was amazing. We had a great time. I mean, I am so sorry, but I have a terribly dark joke. Don't hate me for saying this, but I mean, if he said, let's have a blast tonight, why is the NCB catching him? Shouldn't this be a bomb squad joke? Like, oh <laughs> no, you're going to hell. That is I, so polite. That's so inappropriate. <laughs> sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I don't mean to justify the joke, but the but the bullish nature in which a young boy uh, has been taken into jail um, for actually not having anything on him and the alleged linkage of him to bigger cartels. But there is no direct evidence of it. Um, and as the case progresses, the only other people who are called in for questioning are other film stars like Ananya Pandey. I mean, what is going on here? So the joke is about, you know, the the use, if you want to use strength, I mean, at least check the WhatsApps and use it literally, you know, so that it helps you. Anyway. Yeah, and I think linked to this bullish use of power for me, Anika, is the media trial that accompanies it, you know, because there's a very deliberate attempt to build a narrative. And I think we saw this first in the Sashant Singh Rajput case, you know, his unfortunate death was linked without any evidence whatsoever to, again, words like the drug cartel and, you know, uh, the drug problem in Bollywood, etc. And you had a young starlet in jail again, in a similar circumstance, where she was denied bail. And there was again, really no evidence that she was supplying drugs, had consumed drugs, or that Sushant Singh Rajput's unfortunate suicide was in any way linked to drugs. So, in fact, Bollywood Deja Vu is such an apt title because of this, because we're seeing a very similar situation play out again. Absolutely. And while you might call it a media trial, I think they stage it as a trial. You know, I remember when the Sushant Singh Rajput case was going on and when I used to tune into prime time news hour in the evening, certain channels were so dramatic about this entire uh, trial of his suicide and this young person being connected to a larger drug cartel. I mean, there was a particular point in time that uh, uh, the main news anchor one of two had gone to the police station come back with files that she showed look at the thickness of the file look at the evidence I have gotten and I'm going to live open it in front of all of the people you know so the the showcasing of this entire thing related to Bollywood has been so grand that it it it, it is almost difficult to believe as to believe the veracity of it you know yeah, and exactly that. Look at after that huge file of evidence that this journalist, sorry, I wouldn't say journalist, let's say anchor, unearthed. 
we still don't know what happened in that case you know it was forgotten you had this entire tamasha around it and you exactly. have something similar unfolding over here you have like the media obsessed potentially with this young man and his you know alleged consumption and uh, intention it's not even alleged consumption of drugs it's the alleged intention to consume drugs which is the, the, uh, the most ridiculous reason to hold somebody and deny them bail repeatedly and here the question ki- kind of comes up anika is that are we going after the right people i mean are we going after the supplier or are we more intent on maligning and you know sort of uh, you know going after young star kids and why I think first of all they're going after young star kids because they want a personal family photo opportunity with them getty okay <laughs> i'm pretty sure some of these guys like today deepika padukone is coming today ananya pande is coming beta come during your lunch recess and take a photo <laughs> okay <laughs> so jokes, aside, jokes, jokes aside i i want to sort of again like get back to like what we have been talking about a little bit about why we are so upset right like why have we chosen to have this conversation um why are we so sort of outraged that something like this has happened because it's not new anika let's be very honest the bullish use of power that you've spoken about has been in place no matter which government has been in power whether it is you know one political party or the other whether it's one agency or the other it's not something that we're seeing that is new but mm-hmm. why are we sort of um reacting to this particular incident the way we are i want to know what your thoughts where where do you stand and what are you feeling the I feel two things. One is obviously sadness. Uh, Shahrukh Khan has consumed our popular men- uh, memory for the longest time. We've seen Aryan Khan uh, grow up in front of us. He's grown up into such a fine young chap. I mean, he first of all, the best present that God has given to us is that he looks so much like Shahrukh Khan, and I'm so happy for You're that. Fine girl, dude. <laughs> I am. I'm sorry. I I can't deny it. But what? Why I feel sad here is that this guy who may have wanted to come out into the public. domain formally with a properly led pr campaign his first public release is while he is being taken to jail based on no evidence and the dramatization around this young boy is giving me this is giving me almost ptsd from what was happening with sushant singh rajput's case you know so what what i'm feeling outrage for is why are we allowing ourselves to get so invested in something that has such little evidence i can't say that enough you know that has such little to no evidence to implicate this boy um uh, to the charges that he is being held in jail for the second thing that makes me sad is that if there is a person who is in substance abuse and the quantity that is being applied on this uh, chap um the attitude of the state should be of rehabilitation not of putting him behind bars when our jail already has over 70% inmates that are under child you know it really is crowding our jails and so it makes me feel very sad and the final thing is he is the son of sharukh khan this father is helpless with his son being in jail as a common person i feel scared at any authority wanting to implicate me against anything because the bullish and the brute use of power no matter who the agency is i don't know and i don't care who the agency is but an agency can use that brute power to uh, to withhold someone you know Yeah, I think that is that is hitting the nail on the head. I think that's the reason why most people are reacting. 
I have been reading, you know, a lot of opinion pieces on this to try and like get my head around it. And something that has emerged in a lot of the opinion that is coming out on this, which is on, let's say, the other side. There's one side that's sort of, you know, going after the Khans and saying that this is justified and look at this drug uh, mafia that has emerged in Bollywood. And yet then there's the other side that is saying that, you know, what is even going on? And are you maybe potentially going after the established elite in Bollywood for a reason? And this sort of, you know, again, food for thought. I don't think you and I are like authorities on this. We have really no idea what's going on. But food for thought is that, you know, Shah Rukh Khan had spoken up in 2015 against what he called was the growing intolerance in the country. In fact, Shah Rukh Khan and Amir Khan had both spoken up at around the same time. Uh, Amir Khan had said that, you know, his wife Kiran Rao was considering even potentially leaving the country. Mm-hmm. And what followed those statements, Anika, was not just criticism and a bit of trolling online, which we're all used to. It was political leaders, ministers, party spokespersons coming out and telling these two superstars that if you don't like it here, get the hell out and go back to Pakistan. And you saw that go back to Pakistan litany being thrown around a lot. So, you know, I don't know, is there is there some sort of like maybe retribution that there were these superstars in Bollywood that have not entirely towed the line, that have spoken up. Um, that's what a lot of the opinion pieces are saying. I'm not saying that that's where we're coming from, but any thoughts and any reactions to that? I want to focus on the word Pakistan. Now, here is a person who's saying, I'm not liking the way things are going on in my country. And then someone who's not liked his opinion, uh, it could be anyone, has can say they can say to him that, okay, if you don't like how things are going in this country, go to some other country. They're not saying some other country. They're saying Pakistan, you know? So that is, and and it is one of the most uh, popular phrases used to bully a lot of people online. Even people who may not be from that religion or whatever, but maybe supporters, maybe against intolerance or maybe speaking up against a particular matter, they have been told to go to Pakistan specifically. And that kind of points towards uh, a sense of, or or a leaning or a bent or favoritism towards non-pluralism to a certain extent. But again, this is all that is being widely talked about. It is all out in not only opinion pieces, but some investigative pieces as well. Um, And it's interesting to notice that this is happening so commonly now, you know? Yeah, I think it boils down to the fact that, you know, whatever the reasons are, and, you know, there could be reasons that are legitimate in that there has been a misuse of the law, we don't know, or they could be something that are slightly more wider or sociopolitical, which is what some of the opinion pieces are saying that, you know, it is a deliberate attempt to maybe challenge and undermine the established stars in Bollywood and pave the way for a new kind of celebrity, you know, Kangana Ranaut form of celebrity, a new kind of cinema, which goes away maybe from the more pluralistic ethos that we've seen a lot of films have to a more, um, I I don't want to use the word patriotic, which is how these films are being described, because I feel like even though earlier cinema that showed like a lot of like interfaith and intercultural uh, milieus were also patriotic, but there is a very narrow definition of the word patriotic that is being used with a particular kind of cinema today. So there has been this conversation that there is an attempt to drive Bollywood in that direction. And some of the, these sort of like, narratives that we're seeing emerging emerging as far as this drug conspiracy sector is concerned is to help pave that way. I don't know what the truth is. I'm not a Bollywood insider. I think I have to admit that I don't even watch very many Bollywood films. But it is interesting that there the, 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 the conversation around this is definitely interesting. Um, yeah. And I don't know where I stand on it, very honestly. 
Honestly, it's difficult to take a side because things are moving so fast and being so dramatic and things are shifting and going to so many different directions so much. I am actually a Bollywood viewer, okay? I, I follow, I watch all the movies, I follow all the gossip and everything. And uh, I, I do want to give strength to one thought of yours that is there a shift in the way Bollywood is uh, kind of working its way out right now and the kind of, fo is the focus shifting? And, and the only food for thought I want to leave at is say that let's look at the recent uh, national awardees and the kind of films that they worked on and the reason for them to be uh, recognized and let's look at older national awardees and the kind of films that they were recognized uh, uh, for and the complexities in their formulations that is something if we can take at an individual level take some time to just observe I think that would also tell us a lot about any connections there you know yeah so let's leave our audience with, a, you know, this food for thought, really, because we're not really trying to give any information here, or answer any, you know, bring unearth any hidden facts, because frankly, nobody knows. All it seems is that there is a larger reason for everything that is happening, whether it is because of actual drug use and abuse or whether it is because there seems to be a power shift within Bollywood itself. Uh, we don't know what those reasons are, but unfortunately, the person paying the price in this case is a 23-year-old young man who really, frankly, has no connection to the industry other than a famous father, you know? Other and than the most famous father, yeah. yeah. And that's what we're all sort of reacting to, that whatever your agendas are, whatever the power struggles are within the industry, don't take it out potentially on a young man that has no link to it other than his birth, you know. And um, what I want to do, Anika, is sort of introduce um, Rohan Kotari. He's a lawyer who's going to be joining us. And I think what we want to do with Rohan is try and understand the law a little bit, but also understand the implications of this law on this particular case, because that's really on the only facts we can talk about. The rest is all you and I sitting and wondering why this is happening and who is it serving, right? Yeah, I mean, that's more of a drawing room conversation. But yeah, it would be interesting to hear from Rohan. I just want to give a point. A point. Rohan has written a very interesting article in the Indian Express on this matter. And it is uh, from that perspective that we brought him on board to talk about this because he has looked in detail at the law and, and the implications of this law on this young chap, Aryan Khan. So I'm happy to invite Rohan to join us in this conversation. Hi, Rohan. Rohan, thanks for joining us. Uh, Rohan Kotari is a lawyer based in Bangalore, and recently he'd written a piece uh, titled High on Overreach, which came out in print on the 11th of October in the Indian Express. Rohan Gethi and me have been talking in detail about this entire um, uh, case of Aryan Khan and how he has been um, detained and refused bail uh, uh, based on his um, access towards drugs. What is your legal read on this entire uh, case? Uh, can you tell us a little bit about that? Okay, so by way of a quick introduction to the law before we go into the case, um, the law on which uh, Aryan Khan has been uh, or is being prosecuted and several others are being prosecuted is called the Narcotic Drugs and Psychotropic Substances Act of 1985, the NDPS Act as we call it, um, which basically regulates sale, consumption, uh, 
manufacture trafficking of drugs. Um, the law as it originally stood penalized consumers very severely. In 2001, we had um, uh, an amendment caused by parliament, uh, which reduced the severity with which drug users were to be punished under the law. They made a, a conscious decision to scale down the level of punishments for people caught in possession of what they call small quantities, which can be discernibly uh, only used for consumption, for personal consumption, and those individuals who were caught on the suspicion of having consumed drugs. So consumption possession at a personal level became very um, less severely punishable. As far as this case is concerned, though nothing has been found or nothing seemingly has been found uh, on him, uh, it seems to be that they have, uh, they are trying to deny him bail on account of this so-called conspiracy to, to traffic. And what makes it problematic generally uh, is that when prosecutors sort are, are trying to conflate a consumer with a peddler or a dealer or a trafficker, then you're going against the mandate of the law as set for you. Okay, so that's interesting that, I mean, I think most of us didn't really know that there had been this attempt in parliament to uh, reinterpret how the law should be used. And here, I mean, what we're seeing maybe completely as observers of this is what seems like a draconian use of the law. And uh, Rohan, you were telling us earlier that after this Riyal Chakrabarti's arrest, there had been some change or there was an order, I think, in the Bombay High Court that has an implication on the law. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, so... Basically, when 2001 amendments came, they made, a, they made you know, a striation or a differentiation between uh, drug users and, and, uh, and, and drug traffickers and, and peddlers. They said that the traffickers and the peddlers will be severely punished, which is a laudable objective, that if you're caught dealing in drugs or holding a large quantity of drugs, then you can go into jail for like 10, 20 years up to life. Uh, there was earlier a mandatory death sentence for a repeat conviction, but that's been done away with. Um, but if you're only someone who's consuming or you're found in possession of a very small quantity, which is discernibly for your own use, then we'll punish you with a maximum only of six months to a year. That's what the law says, section 22 and, and 20, uh, 21, 22 and, and 20. Say that if you're caught with a certain category of drugs, you can only be punished with a maximum six months of, an, of imprisonment. And that goes up to a year if you're, you're dealing with a stronger drug, a manufactured drug sometimes. But uh, the good part about that striation was that our code, our criminal code states that less severe offenses are those where you get bail as a matter of right. When you're arrested or apprehended by the police, you can just tell the police, this is a low case offense, a low sensitivity offense. I'm asking for bail, you give me bail and you get out on that basis. I'm obviously oversimplifying it for the purposes of, of this yeah. podcast. But the process is, as we call it, a matter of right. You don't have to depend on a judge's discretion to be released on bail, is what I mean. And for more serious offenses, which are normally punishable upwards of three years, the law states, the code that applies to every law, not only the NDPS Act, states that those offenses are, are going to be where the judge has to apply his mind to the facts of the case, and on his discretion, you will be let out on bail. What Riya Chakrabarti's case did was actually interpret the NDPS Act in a manner which made all offenses under the NDPS Act non-bailable, which means even if I'm 
punishable at the end of a trial uh, for consumption with a maximum six months to a year, I could very well be in jail for the duration of the trial if I'm denied bail. And we don't know when the trial is going to conclude, whether it takes six months, whether it takes a year, whether it takes more than a year. It's very, it's very common for under trials to be in prison for serious offenses for half the duration of the sentence they may get. But that's a big may because you may very well be acquitted at the end of trial. So you're theoretically looking at a position where someone accused of consumption could be in jail for the entire duration of trial and be acquitted of it at the end of that trial. So yeah, that, that blows my mind. You know, you sort of uh, feel like you're progressing and then you hear things like this and it just almost makes it seem like where the law is really going in the wrong direction even. Yeah, I think... Sorry. Also, Rohan, sorry, thank you. Um, uh, Rohan, as we are progressing with this case and as more and more attention is kind of linking Bollywood and drug and, you know, in, in, in a certain way and the frequency is quite, uh, uh, quite quick. Uh, do you think this law is going to be looked at from a curious point of view where it may evolve in a better direction? Clearly it did not in Rhea Chakrabarti's case. With Aryan Khan's case, given such a high profile case, do you think that this law will be looked at in a way that it needs to be amended where uh, small offense drug users need to be rehabilitated probably better instead of being put into jail and, and considered under non-bailable offenses? So two or three comments to your question. There is a, there is a popular legal, legal maxim that goes to the effect of uh, hard cases make bad law. Uh, and Rhea Chakrabarti's case seems to be a classic example of that. It wasn't a hard case. You're dealing with a woman who, or dealing with a person who uh, was accused of, of facilitating the sale or purchase of drugs for someone else, uh, but uh, not what they call illicit financing of drugs. And because of the attention and the media scrutiny given to it, maybe the, the zealousness of the prosecutorial team that was handling the case reached beyond what the law's mandate was and caused for an argument to be taken on record that it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what your category of offense or your, your category or role in the entire conspiracy is. If you're a part of any sort of transaction involving drugs, then we're going to make it such that you, you, get, you, you find it very hard for yourself to get bail. And that was a hard case, not because of the facts involved or because of the individuals involved, but because of the amount of scrutiny being given to it. So in 2001, we moved ahead from the law from 1985 and came to the conclusion that drug dealers are different from drug users. But now in 2021, 20 years after amendment of the law, we seem to be going back towards 1985 rather than progressing ahead as most other developed liberalized countries are. Um, so I feel that the intense focus and energy and effort that is being expended on these, on these NCB cases involving public personalities is in fact very bad for the public at large, for the common man who may be embroiled in some sort of a drug related case. Because the law that's being set up to be the correct or the correct interpretation that's being set up, a 
given to the law in these in these high profile cases is going to be applied downstream across the board so you know you may not have someone with the resources that a public personality has who's still going to be subjected to such severe sanctions by court and by the prosecution ஒரு resources that famous public personalities have that are actually maybe going to be stuck in jail for forever i mean forever being a loose term here but um yeah that makes it that sort of flips everything around it, it, it's pretty much that you're you're using a a a case that really doesn't merit the kind of attention it's getting to set precedent for everyone else and the considerations the constraints and the kinds of pressures involved in this case are not the kinds of pressures involved in a run of the mill ncb prosecution yeah i mean obviously there seems to be some sort of point that they want to prove um we don't know what that point is or why it needs proving now but my my basic concern is that in doing so you're really really uh taking away from the kind of positive and beneficial and holistic view that parliament took in 2001 um which you really shouldn't i mean and and it 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 might hopefully fall upon the supreme court at some point in the recent future in the recent future to interpret the act in a way that's consistent with the amendment that 2001 that parliament decided to make in 2001 um so we hope that happens at some point I But was going to now, actually ask that question next i was going to ask that what is going to be is there a legal recourse because we're seeing the ncb potentially use the law in a way that it's not intended to be used is there a legal recourse that's available now of maybe the supreme court setting uh, stepping in and what is that legal recourse what is, has to be done for that to happen so taking away from the judgment in riya chakrabarti's case well bombay high court held that all offenses under the ndps act are to be treated as non bailable there are decisions of coordinate benches I mean benches of coordinate strength meaning the same level of judicial making decision making of other high courts the delhi high court has held otherwise the karnataka high court has held otherwise even the the kerala high court has has, has held otherwise but because of the kind of weight that popular media is giving to these cases every time someone in any state is being caught for consumption or possession they apply the riya chakrabarti standard more often than not and and so there is a different standard available in different states which needs to be unified through one common sort of you know decree or ruling which can only hopefully come through the supreme court um so hopefully cases such as this go up and are argued with objectivity rather than rhetoric uh and hopefully that results in a clarification of the law as it should be Yeah at least that's a semi optimistic uh, note on all of this. Anika any questions? No, I in fact uh, I'm I'm a little shocked as to how um, restrictive 
this law is with regards to anywhere um, seek, uh, anyone uh, seeking any kind of legal recourse. Um, I was going to ask you the same question, like what does a father do when a son is caught outside a party without any uh, sort of uh, uh, things on him, but is accused of this uh, major crime? And then I hear it is non-bailable. So it really does uh, uh, shake me uh, within hearing uh, how this law has kind of de-evolved in, in a way. But uh, in the future, given how other countries are also responding to drug use or whatever, uh, Rohan, uh, how do you see this law kind of evolving? And what is sort of a timeline on something like this to evolve into a more civil state? Well, you know, evolving of the law is dependent on political will. The parliament has to take steps to ensure that uh, we're keeping abreast with the latest developments in the understanding of, of you know, drug regulation, what works, what doesn't work, how best to make a policy work. Uh, but we came a long way from 1985 in 2001, section uh, 39, 40, 71 and 64 of the act are rehabilitative in their nature. The act says that if you're an addict, then you will be given immune immunity. Like if you, you tell the court and you come clean that I'm an addict, and the court is bound by law to not prosecute you and rather have you institutionalized in a drug hmm. treatment facility. Understood. Yeah. Uh, the law says that if after conviction of a trial involving an individual for consumption or possession of a personal quantity, it comes to the court's attention that this is, a, this is an addict, then he can suspend that sentence and have him admitted to a facility for treatment. Uh, the act in section 61 clearly says that the, the, the government has to set up treatment facilities for addicts. So these sort of gestures towards rehabilitation very much exist in the act. But the popular conception of the drug user being some sort of a leech on society uh, and, and, and a participant of some sort of uh, heinous conspiracy to cause uh, you know, India's societal base to weaken uh, results in these sections just being completely overlooked. If I bring to the court's notice, I'm, I'm, you know, we're dealing with NDPS cases on a very regular basis. If we're, if we're, if at this, at a stage of hearing of bail, I were to tell the court that I'm an addict, please give me prosecutorial immunity. I don't think that sort of uh, an argument would, would, uh, would carry the weight it should because of the of the amount of intense scrutiny being given to these cases now. Interesting. Yeah, that's very interesting. I think it's just, you know, sort of a familiarity with the law will also let you know that, of course, there are problems with it. But what we're seeing happen is not just the a draconian law being played out. It's maybe an interpretation of the use of the law that is becoming a little bit more draconian. And the law itself is got provisions and mechanisms in it, which are maybe more even rehabilitative. Uh, rehabilitative yeah. as opposed to uh, draconian, which is very interesting. And I think that's a perspective that we haven't really uh, seen come out in the media that much either. Whenever we're seeing criticism of what is happening, uh, we are not seeing uh, this narrative come out. So I think that's been very, very interesting to talk about. Yeah, I think it, always, it always makes a big difference who the person in charge of implementing the law is. Uh, you don't have laws enacted in a vacuum. You have agents of enforcement playing a vital role in making sure that the law is enforced. And if you have individuals with a heavy hand doing it, then you're going to see these sort of results. 
But if you have individuals with an objective and even hand doing it, then you probably will see different results. So. Yeah, and I think, well, the one thing that you've said is I think we can hope that the Supreme Court does eventually step in, like these cases do reach then. We have a little bit more uniformity and clarity um, on how this law should be implemented and a way to safeguard perhaps the harassment that is also being caused as a result of the way this law is being enacted. Um, so that's what something that we that is at least optimistic that we can hope for as a result of all of this. Yeah, I mean, in the laws I right now, this isn't even harassment. This is regular due process. Yeah. Uh, we just have to make sure that somebody redefines that soon. Yeah. So that's all that we have time for. Uh, Rohan, thank you very, very much for joining us. I think you've just sort of uh, put an entirely different context to the conversation that Anika and I were having. And uh, I'd want to leave our listeners with this. Um, it, it's definitely food for thought. It's uh, a little bit more legal, but it's food for thought in terms of where is the law and how is it being used and what are the safeguards that are in place. So thank you for joining us. And, thank you so much, uh, Rohan. <laughs> having us, having me, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. Thank you. Bye. Bye, guys. Bye.